Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Always a pleasure to be able to share an empowering hour, and this will be an empowering hour on a lot of different topics. We begin with the latest on health and healing, and this comes from the Toshumi University Graduate School of Biomedical Science in Japan. It's about exciting new research gives a glimmer of hope for slowing ALS through vitamin shots. What is known as amnerotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, is a devastating neurodegenerative disorder targeting motor neurons, leading to rapid loss of muscle control and function. Few pharmaceutical treatments for ALS have been effective at anything, not even slowing it down. But new research offers a glimmer of hope. A randomized trial in Japan found that regular injections with high doses of vitamin B12 derivative significantly slow decreased progression of ALS patients enrolled soon after symptoms onset. That's good. Something non-toxic and natural. So just giving you this, it was for 16 weeks taking this, and they had over 40% more functional abilities versus the placebo based upon the standard ALS rating scale. So that's good news, and just, again, I'm hopeful you don't have it. Probably most of you don't, but we all know someone who has something in the way of neurological or degenerative disease. This can help. Cedars Mount Sinai investigators examined the potential effects of consuming no-sugar sweeteners, including both non-aspartame and non-sugar sweeteners and aspartame alone, on the composition of the stool and duodenal microbes, meaning the bacteria in your gut. Well, compared to the controls in the study, scientists noted significant differences in both the stool and duodenal or small intestine microbial diversity in composition. And levels of circulating inflammatory markers were also uh, shown. So you're eating those non-sugar or zero-calorie sweeteners you're going to have an unhealthy gut. I don't care if it's sucralose, aspartame, saccharin. And, uh, but the only one that I haven't seen cause a problem is the plant-based stevia, which is 500 times sweeter than sugar. And that's not, actually not an artificial sweetener. So keep your gut healthy, all right? And turn off the inflammation because that can lead to excess weight uh, gain, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and even death. So much starts in your intestine. All the more reason to keep it healthy. And when you eat cheeses and dairy products, remember one of the compositions of cheese and dairy products is casein. And they used to use that in mortar to solidify bricks. It can really constipate you. Slows everything down in digestion. You don't want that. The longer foods are fermenting or long as they're putrefying in your gut, animal proteins in particular, the more dangerous it is to your health. Now, a separate study from the University of California at Riverside finds that a high-fat diet impairs your immunity and your intestinal and brain health. This is an important study because, well, a lot of people start the New Year's with some resolution. Most, unfortunately, don't complete it. But if you're on one of those high-fat diets, get off of it because it affects genes 
all right, linked to obesity and colon cancer and irritable bowels. But it also adversely affects your immune system, your brain function, and uh, potentially COVID risk. So this is just one more study showing healthy, clean foods, clean body, regularity, and you're not processing inflammation, which then leads to disease. I'm sure many people in this audience are making New Year's resolutions, hopefully to improve your overall health. Well, how about changing the quality of the fats in your diet? That'll be good for you. According to the University of California at Riverside, a study finds that high-fat diets, that's the average American diet, impairs your immune system, your intestines, and your brain. Yes. The study shows that, well, people are eating the wrong fats, and that's not good. So get rid of the saturated fats, the trans fats, the french fries, the pizzas, all the things you normally like, like pretzels and potato chips. Those are all made with unhealthy fats, and especially deep fried food, because that fryer can be on all day long, and it's really a pro-inflammatory oil that's going into your body. You don't want that. That can upset and destroy much of the good bacteria in your gut. So what they found is that if you change to healthy fats over a 24-week period, 40% of the calories came from fat, and that's just too much. And uh, it should be far less than that. Complex carbohydrates like uh, legumes and beans of all times and pulses, starchy vegetables, nuts and seeds. That's what should compose most of your diet, not fat. But if you stay on that diet, you're going to really hurt your microbiome. And also, you can impact the genes that alter four parts of your intestines and alter the contrary of good health. So, bad oils, bad gut bacteria, bad health. And uh, in fact, one group of in this study, mice, ate a diet based on saturated fat from coconut oil, another from monounsaturated modified soybean oil, and a third group got unmodified soybean oil, uh, high in poly, uh, polyunsaturated fat. Compared to the low-fat control group, all three groups experienced concerning changes in gene expression. Because remember, almost all the oils you're taking in are already processed, denatured, not healthy. So if you're going to have oils and you have to have oils, have organic extra virgin olive oil, all right? Flaxseed oil. These are good. Hemp seed oil is good. Have the good oils. Olive, olives themselves and avocados. And finally, from the University of California, Los Angeles, Cancer cells love fructose. All right, pancreatic tumor cells use fructose to divide and proliferate. U.S. researchers said in a study that challenges the common wisdom that all sugars are the same. They are not. Tumor cells fed both glucose and fructose use the two sugars in two different ways. They said that in their findings, published in the journal Cancer Research, that that can explain other studies that have linked fructose intake to pancreatic cancer, one of the deadliest cancer types. So, no more fructose. Right? Read labels. Don't use it. And that's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us.
And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. I've got an idea, and you can share whether or not you're up for it or not. I'm going to have later today a little section put on PRN.live, our main page, where you would say, yes, you're interested in me doing a Sunday night program, as I did from 1980 till 2010, every single Sunday, nonstop. That's a long time. And it would just be open calls. I did it on WEVD for 12 years, for three hours. I did it on ABC for three hours, for about 12 years. And uh, then on PRN for many years. And what it would be is anything that's on your mind, anything that you would like to share or questions you have, you could call in and... uh, we could have a conversation on a wide variety of topics. Now you see when I ask for people to call in, you know, give us your point of view. Rarely do people call in. Sometimes it's probably because the topic is very specific and, and people either don't feel that their contribution would matter or just don't have anything relevant to say or maybe are afraid to. Whatever the reason is, we always were just flooded with calls on Sunday night. It's just a conversation, always positive, between yourself and me. So I'm going to post that today, and you'll just go to PRN.live and either check yes for a Sunday night show or no. And why? Because almost all of my Sunday nights are spent writing commentary or reviewing quality films sent to me from around the world, and selecting which one I feel you would find of interest that would help our cause. So, just something to think about. Now, we're going to show you a clip that is very important for a couple of reasons. One is because historically, houses of worship, whether a synagogue, a mosque, a church, a cathedral, whatever it may be, were considered off-limits, much like an embassy. An embassy you're not allowed to go into even if you're in a foreign country, because it's considered sovereign soil. The space that that embassy is on belongs to the country. So if you're in uh, Great Britain and you are, have the United States embassy, that embassy's off limits. You just can't go in there. You can't take people out. Of course, we did that with Noriega when he was hiding in an embassy in Panama. But now things have changed. Now, for example, in Ukraine, The uh, Zelensky regime only allows one type of religious beliefs, and they're really going after people who have been of faith. Churches are closed down, prisoners are harassed, and the leaders of those are arrested. It's also happening in Gaza, where they're just destroying churches. Now, mind you, who generally goes into a church? Prisoners. Why? Because... It's a safe space. All right? You're in there as long as it takes so you don't get killed. Now, that's where you do get killed. And there's no voice of of challenge by the media. I've yet to hear a single person, not Rachel Maddow, not Howard Stern, not Jimmy Kimball, saying, hold on a second. It's one thing if you're having a battle with a known resistance like Hamas. Okay. 
But why are you also having the same battle with the innocent civilian that doesn't support Hamas or their places of religious belief? For example, did you know that there's a lot of Palestinian Christians living in Gaza? In fact, they have a church there, Catholic church. Why? Why did they attack it? So no one's talking about it. It's like whatever they're doing, go ahead and do it. But the consequences, killing innocent people, and the numbers just keep going up. I check every day. We estimate between the known dead, around 25,000, and the suspected dead, because nobody knows where they're at, and all these buildings collapse. By the way, 70%, as of this morning, 70% of all of the structures in Gaza where 2.4 million people had resided, destroyed, made into rubble, so nobody could come back. Oh, so we're going to show you this clip with the Morrises at Redacted. They do a good job. I absolutely support them. And they're honest in their broadcasting. But then we're going to go from there into a clip that I'll bet no one's seen. It is a journalist, an Israeli journalist, who is talking about how do these soldiers, the Israeli soldiers, feel it's okay just to kill innocent civilians? Or like the three, the three Israeli citizens who came out, all took their shirts off to show they, they didn't have a bomb taped to them, were holding a white flag and speaking in Hebrew, saying, we're Jewish, we were you know, hostages, we've escaped. And not only were they shot, but one of them was shot and ran away. And they ran after him and shot him, even though he was pleading in Hebrew. How did that happen? And no one's asking that question. A journalist has given us an answer. Whoa, (laughs) this is shocking. But you're going to see it. You're going to hear the actual people who are the instructors in the military academy in Israel explaining what the soldier should do or should not do. That's going to come right after the redacted. Then we'll go to a break. Now to this clip. Well, today we're going to talk about attacks on Christians. The Biden administration is silent on the issue, of course, because they are complicit, of course. They would rather talk about fake violence against trans people, something we've debunked on this show, by the way. Since they won't talk about it, though, we will. Uh, For hundreds of years, Christian churches have been off-limits to war, an off-limits zone from Europe to Latin America. I remember my Latin American history classes in college reading texts how a person, a family, could rush into a church, seek sanctuary, while fascists tried to kill them. Even if they even if they faced certain death from soldiers, the soldiers would stop at the front door of a church and spare their lives. In medieval Europe, a person could seek sanctuary in a church and remain safe and be cared for, actually. Truth. But that's no longer the case, and certainly not the case in Gaza, one of the holiest sites for Christians in the world. Christianity was, of course, born here, and it's where thousands of Christians live and worship. In fact, one of the oldest communities of Christians in the world lives in Gaza. Dating back to the first century, their plight has been ignored. Many of you, by the way, were very smart on this in our chat room. Many of you at the very beginning of this were asking, what about the Christians who live there? 
and many of you, in fact, who were talking about the Christians being attacked in that area, would they be somehow protected, separated from Hamas? Would they be discriminately removed and not attacked? Many of you told us about your Christian family members who were trapped in Gaza, by the way. I recall one night where one uh, impassioned viewer was telling us about her, uh, I think it was her brother, was trapped there um, and trying to get out to, uh, out safely. You told us about church groups who were trying to get the messages out, and it seems like it was falling on deaf ears. This weekend, we received the clearest sign yet that Christians have been deliberately targeted and killed by Israeli defense forces. This weekend, Israeli forces destroyed multiple neighborhoods with U.S. weapons. Look at this. Entire neighborhoods just carpet bombed and wiped away. Multiple well-known Christian sites attacked and destroyed. And European leaders, by the way, are silent, mostly. Up until this morning, Italy was silent, oddly. Like, why, why is Italy so silent? And then they finally came out today and announced this. In a rare show of criticism against Israel, Italian Foreign Minister Antonio Tajini has slammed Israeli forces for shooting two women dead inside of a church in Gaza. An Israeli sniper shot two women inside a church, he said. This has nothing to do with the fight against Hamas because the terrorists are certainly not hiding in Christian churches, Tajini said. Spain is silent. Not a peep. Portugal's silent. Most of Europe is completely silent about it. President Biden, silent about it. White House, completely silent about it. Shh, don't talk about it. Can't talk about it. It's inconvenient to talk about it. A Catholic Pope, though, is not. wonder what kind of pressure he's under to actually speak out about it. Um, the Pope called it terrorism this weekend after Israeli snipers killed these Christians inside of a church. Listen to the Pope. Continuo a ricevere da casa notizie molto gravi e dolorose. Civili inermi sono oggetto di bombardamenti e spari. E questo è avvenuto persino all'interno del complesso parrocchiale della Santa Famiglia, dove non si sono terroristi, ma famiglie, bambini, persone malate con disabilità, suori. Una mamma e sua figlia, la signora Narda Khalil Anton e la figlia Samar Kwamar Anton, sono state uccise e altre persone ferite dai tiratori scelti mentre andavano in bagno. È stata danneggiata la casa delle suore di Madre Teresa, colpito il loro generatore. Qualcuno dice è il terrorismo, è la guerra. Sì, è la guerra, è il terrorismo. Per questo la scrittura afferma che Dio fa cessare le guerre, rompe gli archi e spesa le lance. Preghiamo il Signore. So the Pope um, comes out and condemns uh, these terrorist attacks. He also, you know, people are saying, well, did he condemn the October 7th uh, Hamas terrorist attacks, the horrific attacks by Hamas? And absolutely. So this he was, did. he did. He came right out uh, very shortly after that and condemned the terrorism. But then also said, look, let's really make sure that civilians in this area, including Christian civilians, are not attacked. And can we do everything we can to make sure that they are protected? This weekend, a Christian mother and daughter were murdered. 
by an IDF sniper. Um, they were inside a church at the time, the Holy Family Parish in Gaza. One was killed as she tried to carry the other to safety, and seven more people were shot by snipers and wounded as they tried to protect others inside the church. When they moved inside the church, Israeli snipers fired upon them, according to reports. Here are the two Christian ladies killed inside the church by these snipers. They look like Hamas, right? These are, terrifying. by the way, they are, they are terrifying, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. And these are not my words, by the way. The, the church released this statement. And I'll quote it directly. These are not my words. Around noon today, December 16th, a sniper in the, of the IDF murdered two Christian women inside the Holy Family Parish in Gaza, where the majority of Christian families have taken refuge since the start of the war. Nahida and her daughter, Samar, were shot and killed as they walked into the cistern's convent. One was killed as she tried to carry the other to safety. Seven more people were shot and wounded as they tried to protect others inside the church compound. No warning was given. No notification was provided. They were shot in cold blood inside the premises of the parish where there are no belligerents, meaning there's Hamas isn't hiding out there. And so that's end quote. Now, Israel denies it, of course. Uh, here's Israeli spokesman speaking on this and saying, you know, there were no reports of a hit on the church. And no, this was probably Hamas doing this. So I would I would reject the, the categorization of, uh, of the words he used, cold-blooded killing. That would indicate a deliberate targeting of civilians. That's something we don't do. We don't shoot people who are going to church to pray. It just doesn't happen. Uh, that's not the way the IDF operates. That's against our rules of engagement. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened, and I would urge people not to jump to conclusions. There have been in the past all sorts of stories put out by Hamas and their supporters accusing Israel of all sorts of terrible deeds, and in the end they've proved to be wrong. And uh, uh, we're talking about a combat area. There's exchanges of fire between Israeli forces and uh, the Hamas terrorists. To say that Israel is deliberately targeting Christian worshippers, that's, that's a terrible accusation that is unfounded. unfounded. Would you acknowledge, Mr. Egev, that the bullets that killed these women were fired by the IDF? I do not know that to be true. Obviously, we're looking into it. Uh, uh, could they have been killed uh, by, by Palestinian terrorists who were shooting at our people indiscriminately? I don't know. Uh, but we've got to be very careful. Uh, there was, there have been countless stories this, since this conflict began, where reports out of Gaza, people are a hundred percent sure that Israel did something terrible, or this, that, or the other. And in the end, it's been proven conclusively that that was not the case, and people have had to retract their words. Unfortunately, some have refused. But okay, we know that the IDF targeted Shireen Abu Akleh before this began right. the Palestinian journalist who was just standing around. She was targeted by Israeli snipers. So for him to say Israel does not target innocents, um, that's false. We know that. Well, yeah, so, uh, almost 80 journalists have now been killed. Uh, I think the number stands today at 80. Right. But at least in recent memory before this conflict, they can say, oh, the heat in the battle, people just get killed. We're trying really hard to be precise. It just doesn't happen because war is hell. Right. But for them to say it's our policy to not target civilians, that's just not true. That's, yeah. that's just a lie. So that piece right there um, has very little credibility. Well, we know this inside the hospitals, but this specific. Yeah. And specifically inside churches should be absolutely off limits. This should not be a news flash to them. But it is apparently to the United States and the Biden administration, although it shouldn't be. 
because the Biden administration's own State Department, I love going through State Department documents because there's a treasure trove of hypocrisy. Because in the State Department's own assessments of Ukraine and other corrupt governments around the world, you'll find fascinating information where they account for these atrocities and what they're doing to target Christians. And it's right there in the State Department's own documents in the United States website. You can read it for yourself. And here's just a snapshot of the 2022 report on international religious freedom, Israel, West Bank, and Gaza. Biden's own State Department has cataloged the violence against Christians. In a State Department report from earlier this year, it detailed violence against Christians in the West Bank and Gaza by Israeli forces and Israeli extremists. Again, this is Biden's own State Department. This isn't us saying this. I'm going to quote it now for you. Here's the Biden State Department. The Christian heads of churches in Jerusalem continued to raise public concerns that the Christian presence and holy sites in Jerusalem were under threat. The statements identified pressure points on Christians that include violence and harassments against clergy and worshipers by Israeli extremists, vandalism, desecration of church property, attempts by settler organizations to obtain strategic property in and around the Christian quarter of the Old City and the Mount of Olives, and restrictions on residency permits for Palestinians as part of Israel's citizenship and entry law. This law remains an especially acute problem, according to church leaders, because of the small Christian population and consequent tendency to marry other Christians from the West Bank or elsewhere. The West Bank, where tens of thousands of Christians live, much greater in population than the thousands of Christians that live in Gaza. In April of this year, Israeli forces attacked Christian worshipers at the Sabbath of Light Ceremony in Jerusalem. Christians are worried they will go extinct, their words, in Gaza and the West Bank. Gaza Christians fear threat of extinction amid the Israeli war. Israel's assault on Gaza could spell the end of Christian communities' long history in the enclave, according to these reports. On October 19th, Israel bombed the church of the St. Porphyrius, Gaza's oldest church, killing at least 18 people. The Israeli army said in a statement that the church was not the target of the attack. It was just a, you know... We, we missed, I guess. The Christian leaders didn't buy that story. In fact, one of the clergy said, the missile fell directly on it. We cannot believe that the church was not their aim, end quote. Ev- uh, evangelical Lutheran pastor and founder of uh, Dar al-Kalimi University in Bethlehem says this community is under the threat of extinction. I'm not sure they will survive the Israeli bombing. Again, that's well, the ev- 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 evangelical Lutheran pastor. Go ahead, David. Don't they say that they have the most advanced weapons that ever? Like they accidentally, whoops, that one must not have been as advanced as the others. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, well, today I was reading a report on and why, and asking the question, why doesn't Israel use smart bombs? In fact, they're choosing instead to use what, what this report referred to as dumb bombs. It's interesting. Why would they choose to use dumb bombs instead of these smart ones? I'll leave that up to you at home to make your decisions about that. Um, but the Palestinian Christians are have been calling on President Biden 
to push for a permanent ceasefire, telling the president, and they've been saying this repeatedly, church groups across the United States and in Palestine, West Bank and Gaza, calling on President Biden, calling for a ceasefire. Even though the White House is not mentioning Christians at all, there is hope, though. There is a, like a sliver of hope that Israel's biggest supplier of weapons and funding, the United States, will ask them to scale back the killing. This report breaking just before the show, uh, uh, you have Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. He is the highest ranking U.S. official to visit Israel. He's there now, and apparently he's going to be meeting with them tomorrow to convey a message of restraint, to scale back the killing. This according to reports. So the lesson, he said, is that you can win in urban warfare by protecting civilians. The lesson is that you can only win in urban warfare by the lesson is that you can only win in urban warfare by protecting civilians. And of course, you remember Secretary Austin a few weeks ago said that you might win like a tactical battle, but you're going to lose the strategic war. Yes. That you're going to create a new, uh, you know, tens of thousands of new uh, radicalized individuals who are going to ri want to rise up. Remember in the year 2003, actually, Israel declared and, and told the world that they had eliminated 98% of Hamas, that Hamas was 98% destroyed and contained mm. in, in 2003. That's interesting. So if 98% of them were killed in 2003 or contained or imp imprisoned, then where did all of them come from? In that amount of time in 2003 that's just 20 years ago according to my math right so that means then that if it, it we, as you say as the reports have of course pointed out that they think there's no innocent there's no in, there's no one innocent in gaza at all i guess including christians right so then where did all of these well we know a lot of them are quite young Right. A lot of the people who carried out the attacks are probably under 20. So that math would work out. But that would mean they were really fast procreators they were a baby. in the yeah. last 20 years. Like yeah. That means they all had to have born, been born right after they were 98% eliminated. Right. So. Well, and that, yeah. if it was right. 2003, that gave them until 2006 to gain enough to gain power of Gaza, right? They became the... Yeah, so I guess so. The math doesn't years. add up. So right. <laughs> I guess what my point is in saying that, according to this report from the Israelis, this came right out of these, you know, Israelis' mouth. By the way, that in 2003, 98 percent of Hamas was contained or you know imprisoned or destroyed. Okay, well then, how do you account for the 2.3 million that live there? Then are they all now Hamas? Okay. I guess the Christians are too. Let us know your thoughts on this in the comments below. We'll, I, we'll be awaiting the White House response on this. I'm sure the White House will be commenting on this and, and answering uh, what these Christians are calling for, which is a permanent ceasefire. We'll see about that. This is the most important educational facility. This is an army academy in which army officers are sent to study the Torah and the Talmud. You have rabbis teaching these lectures, and I'm just going to give you some quotes directly from the Hebrew so you can evaluate what kind of messages are being put forth and passed on. So here's Rabbi Eliezer Kashtiel, and this is what he has to say to his students. Due to the abolition of legal slavery, there are now deficiencies since no one is responsible for the property, right? Humans property. With the help of God, it will return. Slavery will return. So who are going to be these slaves? The non-Jews will want to be our slaves, he says. Being the slave of a Jew is the best. They must be slaves. They want to be slaves. Instead of wandering the streets, being foolish and violent, harming one another, now his life begins. All around us, there are nations with genetic problems. 
Ask any simple Arab where he wants to be. He wants to be under the occupation. Why? Because they have a genetic problem. They don't know how to run a country. They don't know how to do anything. Look at the state of them. Sounds kind of racist. Yeah, he goes on. He says, yeah, of course racism exists. Are we unaware that there are different races in the world? Is it a secret? Is it untrue? What can you do? It's true. Yes, we're racists. We believe in racism. Correct. There are races in the world, and gen nations have genetic attributes. So it requires of us to consider how to help them. Racial differences are real, and this is precisely a reason to offer help. Wow. That's, uh, that's really something. This is the premier military academy. Surely this can't be the bulk of what they're teaching, right? So we move on. Here's another rabbi, Giora Redler, and what he teaches about the Holocaust, he says, the Holocaust wasn't really about killing the Jews. That's not the Holocaust. All those excuses that it was ideological or systematic, that's nonsense. Because it was out of ideology, in a way, it was more moral than if it was just people just murdering. Humanism. The whole secular culture of believing in man, that is the Holocaust, he says. The real Holocaust is to be pluralistic, to believe in man. That is called Holocaust. For many years already, God has been screaming that the diaspora is over, but people don't listen to him. And that is their disease, which must be cured by the Holocaust. Jewish people living anywhere in the world other than the state of Israel, that's a disease. And the cure for this disease is to genocide said Jews you know, about as revisionist as you're going to get. That's, that's pretty sickening stuff. And then he goes on. In relative terms, the logic of the Germans was internally consistent. Hitler said that a group of people, a certain group in the population, is the source of evil for all humanity. They cause evil to humanity, and therefore, they must be exterminated. So let's start with the question. He says, was Hitler right or not? Seems like a pretty obvious answer, right? But you'd su be surprised. He says, he is the most righteous person possible. Of course he was right in every word he said. Talking about Adolf Hitler. What does he mean by this? There is the masculine world that wages war, that is concerned with respect. And then there is the soft, moral, feminine world of turning the other cheek. And it's the Jews that carry on that tradition, trying to ruin all of humanity, and therefore they are the real enemy. He is on the wrong side, but otherwise he is 100% correct. He's saying that the correct way to be is strong, to believe that might makes right. And if you, in fact, believe in being merciful to the other, then that is the most evil thing that humanity can do, okay? And so Hitler was incorrect in ascribing that feminine, merciful quality to Jews. That attitude to believe that might makes right and that mercy is evil, that's 100% correct, according to Rabbi Georg Redler at Israel's top military academy. Okay, David, surely, you know, these are just, you know, two exceptions to the rule. This, there must be more. Unfortunately, these aren't the exceptions these are the rules. So we'll hear from another rabbi at that academy, Yosef Kellner. And he has a lecture on another topic. He says, to not follow the Torah and commandments is lack of morality and national treason. So if you're a Jewish person and you don't follow all the minutia of rules and regulations written in the Talmud, then you are a traitor to the Jewish people. In fact, it's called genociding a people, he says. That's genocide, to be a secular Jew. You are not a national criminal, you are an international criminal. It's called crime against humanity. So now, can a nation protect itself from the traitors within? According to most, traitors are sentenced to a bullet in the head, everywhere. For those who betray them, every sanction is legitimate, up to a bullet in the head. So, slavery? Thumbs up, we need to bring it back. The Holocaust, you know, Hitler was 100% correct, the most moral person possible. 
And if you're a secular Jew, you are sentenced to death. You deserve to die. If I'm summarizing the ideology of the top military academy in the state of Israel. Again, you're going to say, oh, this is some outlier. Surely this academy isn't important. Surely these people are condemned. Come on. This is the headmaster of the academy, Eli Sadan. And here he is a couple years ago receiving the Israel Prize, the highest prize in the country, receiving it from the education minister. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is there congratulating him. But the headmaster did not allow Bennett, the education minister, and he did not allow Netanyahu, the prime minister, to speak to the students. The only politician he allowed to speak to the students was his favorite politician, previously the chief rabbi of the Israeli army. Now, Netanyahu just made him the most recent education minister, Rafi Peretz. What does he do now that he's our education minister? He gives a prize to who? Who does he give a prize to? This man, Yitzhak Ginsburg. Now, if you're going to remember one name, maybe just this one, because this is probably the most racist rabbi in the country. He published a book called The King's Torah, or Torah Tamelech. And this book, it's a, like a theological treatise. It asks the question, under what circumstances may a Jew kill a non-Jew? He comes to the conclusion that pretty much under any circumstance, he writes there, there is justification for killing babies if it is clear that they will grow up to harm us. This is the man who receives a prize from Israel's education minister. Essentially, you know, publishing a Gentile murdering manual. Oh, so what, they didn't report this in the Basler Zeitung? You know, so, I mean, is this not ridiculous that I have to fly all the way over here and burn up all these fossil fuels to explain this to you, this basic stuff? Welcome back, everyone. Now at least you have some idea, and again, it's only part of that, conditioning. Remember, when anyone, no matter what their background, goes into military training, the first thing they do is they, they standardize everything. Everybody's got to get a haircut. Everybody has to sleep in the same bed, eat the same food, do the same workouts, get up at the same time. And now you have to subvert your own ego. Your ego no longer plays a role. If it does, it works against you, not for you. And who's telling you this? The person is going to be teaching you everything you know. What are the acceptable and unacceptable tenets of war? Now think of all the things the American soldiers did in Vietnam. Many were my friends, some my classmates in high school. And they came back, and they were traumatized. We didn't know what it was called back then, but they were suffering because of what they did or saw and couldn't do anything about because there's this rigid chain of command structure and you can't go above it. If you do, then you're punished no matter what you're revealing. They have no tolerance for the whistleblower in the military. So imagine the, the Phoenix program. I'll just give you one example. Over 60,000 Vietnamese civilians were killed by CIA-controlled uh, operatives in Vietnam. Torture was common and then think it may lie. There were no soldiers there. In fact, in the entire village, I think they only found one weapon, one gun. And all those people, or 400 people, were just shot, rounded up, tied up, and shot. Men, women, children, babies, shot. Who does that? A normal person wouldn't do that. Even Republicans might hesitate at that. <laughs> Jesus, man, they're... They, you mentioned more, and there's like duck soup in the, uh, in the Marx Brothers. They get an erection, start marching around the room to war. 
God, what, what idiots. In any case, set that aside for a moment. Normal people don't go out of their way to try to harm other people. But when you're conditioned, when you're indoctrinated, you can. Not everyone would, but you can. And that happens in every war and has throughout our history. So, now when you hear about three Israeli citizens who escaped, being hostages, took off their shirts, because they knew the rule. They, they knew what would happen otherwise. And they and also anyone looking at them, they looked, you know, they looked more Caucasian Jewish than Arab Palestinian. You could see by their looks. And they were speaking clear, fluent Hebrew. The average Hamas person can't speak any Hebrew. And yet it wasn't enough. So you could have you could have they had a flag, you could have put them on the ground. Could have tied them up. No, shoot them. Now you get an idea how that happens. When the leading rabbis in the Army Military Academy says, you should, it's okay. How many times do you have to hear that lesson over and over and over again before suddenly it's you and the other, and the other is no longer sacred? And that's unfortunate. Now, off to some better news. And, uh, and I have a really interesting clip. I don't know if I'll get to it today. But it's the latest video on the problems with artificial intelligence. And I'll give a commentary on that. And then I'll play the clip either today or tomorrow. But I want to go over some things beforehand. Um, I get an awful lot of mail. In fact, if you go up to GaryAnall.com, and look under radio history, you'll see a picture. There's a gentleman, I believe he's in a white shirt, where, and I'm in a, I think a dark blue shirt, and I'm at the microphone, and in front of me is just this huge stack of 6,000 letters. Those are letters just from that one week, being on WABC and ABC Radio Network, Saturday on the network, and Sunday night for three hours on WABC, for years and years and years. And that's what I averaged almost every year, per week. I give you that as a, because you'll understand. But then go back. Go back to WMCA, 1973, 74, 75. I got 20,000 letters a week. In fact, so many that the Mrs. Strauss allowed me to use the second floor that was just a big storage area, and we cleaned it all out, and we put up big tables and about 40 volunteers would come in every Saturday. I was on the air from 10 to 2, and no one else was there. And, uh, but the volunteers were wonderful human beings. And one of the people was an organizer, you know, super alpha a woman. And she says, okay, how are we supposed to answer all this? Give us the answers. We'll read off different types. And so they read off 100 different types of questions. I would give the answers. They then typed it all out. And then I would personally sign each letter. So everybody got their letter responded to. Then at noon from my restaurant, the Fertile Earth, we bring down a six-course meal for all these people, plus enough that they could take a whole meal for their whole family home as a gift, just me showing respect for them, which I believe we all should do. When someone does something for you that you didn't ask for, they didn't have to do, then just the bond of acknowledgement is an important connection. The harmonizing of positive energy, the cooperation of people working together. 
And uh, I, I've said this for a long time, came up with this a long time ago. You're never more for doing less in the world we live in. You're never more for doing less for your family, your loved ones, your friends, and yourself. If you prize less is a virtue. But you're never less if you do more than what is expected, what is anticipated, what is required, because you're doing it from a higher plane of consciousness. And so, just maybe going into the new year, I'll share a few thoughts. Anyhow, I'm, but we got all 20,000 letters per week. In fact, that's how I knew that uh, Greta Garbo was on the show because someone came over and says, this is G. Garbo in Sutton Place. And I said, open it up. And yeah, it was her. And I uh, was able to help her and a lot of others. Millions of people over the decades. But I share that with you because two weeks ago, um, my editors, my senior editor, has been with me, wow, 35 years. I have four employees who are working. I don't consider them employees. I consider them um, friends, professional friends that we work together because it's a weak world out there whether we like it or not. And they wanted some old letters, if I had them, to validate a challenge against Wikipedia that everything Wikipedia said was wrong. So going through these old boxes I hadn't opened up in years, I find thousands of unanswered emails and letters and cards. And I didn't know these existed. Someone in my office evidently uh, kind of made a shortcut, saw all this mail, all we can answer all this, and through it, and I had five people answering the mail. They would ask me, and I would just, I would spend an hour every day addressing their questions, so at least as many people as possible would get a response. In any case, here's all this mail. So this goes way back to 1980. So if you emailed me or wrote me and never got a response, it's because it's in a box. So what I do, I try to locate some of these people. I spent about six hours on Sunday trying to email or call people. Only one person still had an existing email, and they were shocked to get a call. They said, Gary, I, when did I write that? And I said, 24 years ago. So if you still need the answer, I'll give it to you today. <laughs> it's a true story. There was a Christine Furco from, uh, she wrote an interesting letter about health issues. She is helping people. She's in the health field. Adora Meller, uh, talking about how spreading word of health through her office. This is an interesting, I'm going to read this. This is from Patricia, uh, dated September 20th, 2002. Quote, over the summer I realized that not only was my marriage a lie, but everything about me and my life was a lie. My self-concept was a lie, a joke. I was masquerading as a nice person, but I was a bitch. I was so fearful to let people see, scratch that, let myself see and be who I really was, that I was a mean, belligerent, and downright nasty. I gave the impression that I was warm and fuzzy and likable, but in actuality, I was defensive, fearful, impenetrable, ungrateful, and I'm sure you can conjure up some other adjectives. I have stripped myself of all that I was and all that I thought I was 
and I'm starting completely over. I tried to do it in piecemeal, but realized that it wasn't working. I was cheating myself into thinking that I was changing, but I wasn't. I was going through the motions of change just to get a temporary fix, but I really didn't want to change. I was hitching a ride on anyone and anything that could take me away from my reality for a while. The pain of my life and of who I was, no matter how bad was, in a strange sense, comforting. You may be thinking, all oh, this is all BS. She's been lying her whole life. Why should she be believed now? The turning point for me, I had an experience where I was physically sick, so sick that I felt I was going to die. For days, I was rolled up in a fetal position in what I perceived as physical pain. After asking for divine guidance, I realized that my old pattern of behavior was so strong that it was trying to reclaim me. Does it sound unbelievable? Maybe to some people, but not to me. Once I declared that I was going to be true to my authentic self and live my life according to my true spirit, the pain vanished instantly. I was able to heal myself. That is when I realized that in order to live, I had to throw away everything, cold turkey, and totally reconstruct myself. At my very core, not, uh, not uh, begin on the surface and hope that it seeped through. End quote. Wow. Had I read that back then, I would have reached out to that person. I would have read it on the air because I thought it was very significant what this person was saying. Now, why is that important? It's important for a couple reasons, not the least of which is that where we start our journey is where we're going to be taken. And all, all frequently, we don't ask ourselves, am I in the right place? Do I have the tools I need? For example, when you choose to change because maybe COVID, maybe you got COVID or were afraid of getting COVID, maybe you're in a relationship that you wanted to work, but it didn't, and you want to blame yourself or you want to blame the other person. Why can't we accept that when you're attracted to someone, that's an authentic attraction? It could be to someone's mind, their sense of humor, their looks, whatever attracts you, there has to be an energy. When that energy connects and you start to relate, then that's real. The problem is our expectation from that moment forward. And there's where it begins to frequently be challenged and unravel. And then we don't know what to do. You have an initial attraction. You have initial communication. You feel good about where you're at and being with that person. If that's real, then the relationship at least is authentic. Where it can come undone is when you're not honoring the authentic self because the authentic self is always at peace, including in relationships, always positive, always open, always understanding. Because what do we do with this life? We grow through it. So what we were willing to think and do and say and be and eat and drink and everything else when we were at 18 is not the same at 28 and certainly not the same as 68. But we'd like to think that whatever I said and did at one point in my life when I was just emerging into my authentic self or trying to reach my authentic self is who I was. No, you were living an inauthentic life, but trying to be authentic. 
And that's our confusion because about 95% of everything you do say, think, and process in a day comes from your subconscious, not your conscious mind. You're lucky if you can have 5% of your day spent in conscious awareness. Where do we grow? Through only conscious awareness. We never grow through our epigenetic conditioned self. So your ego, when challenged, always responds with anger and rage and self-denial. It's not my fault, it's yours. I didn't say that. You And suddenly you start seeing a person's life starts to implode inward. Anger constricts. Rage constricts. Love expands. Love forgives. Love's acknowledged that, you know, think of all the things we could do if we could do them over. And I'm a believer that there are things we should do over. I believe that there are relationships that we left too soon, too early. I know I did. And uh, because you have to understand who are you, your authentic self, and you better get someone who's very much in alignment with you. And if not, you can have two good people with the right intent, and it doesn't work. There's no harmony. There, then that becomes conf conflict. So start to go into this new year being more appreciative of the opportunities and chances you've had in life and maybe you didn't explore them because you weren't mature enough. And that's important. And also, ask yourself, what are you if you have no achievements in your life? If you're just kind of hanging out day to day, going through normal rituals, shouldn't you bring yourself up to some challenges? I believe we all should challenge ourselves to achieve self-confidence, to achieve creativity, to achieve helping, nurturing, forgiving. These are all important, I believe. Instead of always looking at how we protect ourselves, how we never should be vulnerable because something that might have happened to us early in life, and therefore someone can be in our life, but we're too defensive to open up to appreciate that person. And sooner or later, they go on to another person. I'm going to have to say goodbye to our WBA audience, and we'll continue at the top of the hour on PRN.live. And by the way, we're posting today an easier way for you to tell me whether or not you would like to or would participate in a Sunday night show, probably around 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and it was successful 8 to 10, have a live engineer in, and it would not be a progressive commentary. That's a really hard-hitting show, and I never take calls with a hard-hitting guest on issues that we need to know about. Just go down and download this week's show. Wow. One of the best, from my perspective, I was, I felt this guest was just spot on. Every hard ball I've thrown him, he's just knocking out of the park. But anyhow, this would be purely open calls. That's what I did on Sunday night for decades. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, but after Marty Feldman died, I just, that energy was no longer there. And, but now, I'm getting a lot of calls people saying, Gary, I can't listen to the day. I, I work at nighttime, take care of my family. I take Sunday, especially Sunday afternoon for myself and Sunday evening. And uh, I miss you when you were on ABC. I used to enjoy that, three hours. So that's what I'm thinking of doing, addressing any issue that you feel is important. If you'd like that, you can go to do this. Go to prnstudio at gmail.com. Or wait. PRN Studio uh, at gmail.com. I think that's it. If that's not it, let me know. And uh, Dylan, and if that's the correct email, then good. 
Otherwise, we're going to put it up on my PRN website so you can say yes or no. And if I get enough people saying yes, then I'll do it. If not, I, I won't. But also, remember, any conditioned fears you have are about the loss of control. Things that happened in your life you had no control over. What angers us is we had control and we still made the wrong choices. Then we start looking for a blame game. What if... What would you do differently if you had to stop blaming people and instead start realizing that everyone is just a human being struggling to get through this thing called life with as much character and integrity as possible? We're all going to make mistakes, but learn from those mistakes. The mistake then makes you stronger, wiser. So everything is energy. And if you start the idea with positive energy, then you're going to create something positive from it. If you start with negative energy, you're going to create something destructive from it. That's what I like about Pat's letter. Pat, whoever you are, I this is something I very much believe in. Don't start with the superficial. Don't start with how you feel because always that's going to be uh, conditioned. Start with who you are. That's how you make change. Otherwise, just like in our latest health support group, we had a lot of people who they were graded on campus. They went home and went right off the protocol. And we saw it. We saw it in the blood chemistry. The blood chemistry doesn't lie. It's telling us in the methylation DNA test. They tell us who stayed with the protocol and who didn't. Why wouldn't you stick with something that could extend your life, prevent disease, give greater health? Because they didn't change at the authentic level. They changed at the superficial level. They changed to be compatible on campus, yeah, I'm in it. I'm going to do the yoga, meditation, and juicing. But when they got home, well, why should I? Who's here? Gary's not here to see. I'm not doing it. So then you played a game on yourself. And once you start those games, they are endless. You'll go lurch from one crisis and one drama to another crisis and drama. All these are games. It's like the person says, I don't feel good today. Why? I just don't feel good. I, I, I'm I'm really stressed. About what? And then they tell me something that happened to him 20 years ago. I say, okay, right now, is that person here? Is that person yelling at you? No. Well, if no one's here yelling at you, then why did you choose to create an image from your past to justify a sense of contempt for the moment you're in? They hadn't thought of that. Regressive hypnosis helps stop that. Stop bringing the worst of yesterday into the best of today, because if you do, you're not going to have a best of anything. Use your energy, your life force, for positive outcomes. And everything is energy. Master that. So the next time I do an anti-aging uh, study, hopefully uh, for a month in uh, May, and it's going to be a month because the more insight into a person's own core self that they're able to actualize change, the more likely they are to continue a positive path of energy when they go home. That's it for today. I look forward to tomorrow. I'm going to talk about all the new projects coming up in the new year. And uh, they all involve you because they're all meant to help you have the answers you may choose to use or not to live a longer and healthier and happier life. Have a nice day, everyone.